This podcast is kindly sponsored by the multinational biopharmaceutical company Insight. ILCA is, today, the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good evening. Nice to be here with Richard Finn. I'm Maria Rech, head of the BCC at Barcelona. And we were in, in ASCO GI some weeks ago, or at least a, a month. But the information that we have there was amazing. We have several uh, trials that we want to share with you. But before starting our conversation, I give the microphone to Richard to introduce himself. Hi, Maria. Thank you for the opportunity to work with you today. And welcome to our listeners, Richard Finn. I'm a medical oncologist at UCLA Geffen School of Medicine in Los Angeles, California. I'm excited to discuss a few abstracts from the ASCO GI meeting. Yes, I believe that the, the first one that we could discuss is the phase three trial that uh, Dr. Adosan presented from Canada. The information may be interesting not only for the result. Remember that this SBRT plus sorafenib, a phase three trial in ATC. Uh, now today, sorafenib is not anymore the standard of care, but the information that they have, it is very important as a proof of concept in this setting. It includes patients with BCLCB or C, up to 20 centimeters with at least five lesions, and they observed that the overall survival was longer in the combination in comparison to serafinib. However, the trial was negative. So now we have these uh, issues that we have strong data, but we need to change during the landscape. Richard, what do you think about that study? Do you think that we could consider in our clinical practice in the future this data is all at this day? We need to give the investigators a lot of credit for conducting this study. The role for external beam radiation in liver cancer has been elusive. Certainly, some centers have a lot of expertise in that area and have been applying that to local tumors, competing with the RFA or microwave ablation space. This was an interesting study because it added a local treatment, SBRT, to larger tumors with portal vein invasion, BCLCC tumors, and added serafinib, which at the time uh, was one of the standard of care options, and there was some rationale to combine that with radiation. The challenge for the study, I think, was that as the standard of care changed, accrual became a problem. And while the investigators concluded that there was some survival benefit, uh, it's really the statistics that, that were a challenge to, to really conclude that this is a new standard of care. Whether or not this might be something to consider for our patients where, who we are giving serafinib, which I think is an increasingly smaller population of patients, is something that could be considered, but I don't think this study brings that to level one evidence. Yes, the other thing that I would like to highlight is the information about safety profile. Now today that the subsequent treatment is very difficult to have an evidence-based term survival, sometimes we need to apply treatment that are not in this uh, line. And this information, it could be helps the clinicians if you could consider SBRT plus because we have information of uh, safety profile. And this is something that I believe is important to keep into consideration at this day. Safety and quality of life are becoming increasingly important in how we choose our options for patients. And this idea of 
where do TKIs fit in in the modern age is something that's evolving. I had presented data at this meeting uh, from Rationale 301, which was a phase three study of tizolizumab versus serafinib in the frontline setting. This study met its non-inferiority endpoint with single agent PD-1 inhibition. Uh, that was something that had been somewhat elusive to get a positive phase three study uh, with single agent IO. This data set looked very much like the BMS Checkmate 459 with single agent nivolumab, but that was a superiority study. And we showed that with single agent tizolizumab versus serafinib, while survival was not increased, quality of life was maintained and patients did do better. And, you know, one thing that we will think about in the future is who are the patients for single agent IO, given the benefit of Atezobev, uh, Dervatremi, then we have Lenvantinib, Serafinib, and maybe you know, single agent TISA in the future. But quality of life and safety are very important. I believe that the interpretation of this data, well, it was one of the questions that we received in the meeting because the improvement in symptoms are not reproducing pain as you answer at that time. Pain is something that we, do use, we don't have in the majority of the patients who are receiving the, the treatment. So the interpretation of the data is another point that we need to keep into consideration in the setting of ATC for, for sure. And nowadays, we have many options for this day. I believe that the other topic that we have in the, in the setting of ATC, and it was presented in that session, was also the phase three trial were compared taste plus raffinib in patients who had a portal vein thrombosis. And again, the comparative arm was serafinib, and we already discussed the, the rationale for that. But the overall survival they show in the combination taste plus serafinib was 30.4 months. So one of the, the questions that opened to, to the audience and, and we can discuss is what is the role of the post-treatment after discontinuation of the trial? Because this is also one of the discussions that we have at that uh, session. Do you remember the, the discussion with the, the, the presenter? The main point was the treatment that the patient received after the continuation of the trial. This is an ongoing issue in diseases where there are multiple lines of therapy. And, and we need to look at this in a few different ways. One, we will start to use progression-free survival as a primary endpoint, recognizing that showing an improvement in OS is becoming increasingly difficult because of the post-progression treatment. And, and you can't control that. Doctors will do what is best for their patients. But at the same time, all of us, I think, will recognize that improving overall survival is what we want to do. The challenge is, can we prove that we're improving OS? And, and that becomes uh, an important issue that we've seen in other diseases, where there can be a significant improvement in PFS, but then OS does not seem to meet statistical significance. That doesn't mean that we're not improving OS. It means it's becoming increasingly hard to show, at least with the, the studies that are sized as they currently are. You know, in the future, 
We might need very large studies if we're trying to show an improvement in OS because of the impact of post-progression survival and the impact of, of other treatments for that. The field is changing rapidly. You know, we saw data, a press release and, and data recently on the adjuvant use of a Tezobev after resection, the Embrave 050. Also at ASCO GI from China, there was a study of TACE and serafinib after resection. And this study came from China, where there is a tendency to use taste adjuvantly after resection. And, and this study actually showed a significant decrease in recur or an improvement in recurrence-free survival and even OS with this strategy of taste and serafinib post-resection. What are your thoughts on this? Does this affect us in the West? For sure. This is a hot topic at this day. We have a positive trial, the Imbray 050, and we have also different data, not only from China. This also, I would like to comment also the other uh, trial from Bogan that combined PEMBRO plus radiofrequency. And in this setting, we need to identify the right endpoint that we, we can use, as you, may, as you commented. Overall survival is very difficult to extrapolate in, in this setting. So I, again, I believe that we need to find uh, alternative endpoints. The main problem is FDA and uh, if they are not uh, accepting all of them. But the pattern of progression is something that now is keeping more and more interested in this field. For example, for the inbrate that was presented last Sunday, the recurrence is the early recurrence, which makes the difference is the late recurrence. And all of these things are the open question that now we have in the setting of ATC. It had happened in other tumors, but as we didn't have any adjuvant therapy until now, it is still a, a question and we hope to have uh, data in the, in the next uh, years. A whole new question is if patients get adjuvant IO with the Tezobev or there's other IO adjuvant studies ongoing, what do we do when they recur? And I think it'll be very important to keep in mind their time to recurrence. Uh, someone who recurs quickly on a Tezobev versus someone who has a late recurrence uh, after completing adjuvant treatment. And similarly, when we start thinking about second-line treatments in advanced liver cancer. To me, there's a distinct difference between patients who progress on a Tezobev at three months versus those that progress at a year and a half. And whether that's related to pattern of progression or just intrinsic tumor resistance, these are very important questions as we think about the next generation of studies. Yes, and the other thing, and also linked to another session, interesting session in ASCO-GI, was the liver transplant oncology. So now we have uh, immune oncology agent in the early stage. If the patient is candidate for liver transplantation, we can offer them to enter to adjuvant therapy or we could consider transplantation. Also in that discussion of the, uh, the meeting was the indication of expansion criteria for liver transplantation. We expected to have more patients with this option, but maybe we also need to discuss again the landscape after liver supplementation because the rate of recurrence could be higher or different as we have at this day. The time's life, and, and we don't uh, discuss until now nothing about cholangiocarcinoma or biliary tract, uh, but uh, I believe that the, the key questions in the liver cancer field are open. We are in a very nice time for us. We have a lot of responsibility, but I would like to, to have your thoughts about the summary of biliary tract cancer in, in ASCO-GI. Biliary tract tumors, which are a heterogeneous group of cancers, 
have really come to some important research questions in the past few years, as we've seen the approval of molecular targeted agents for specific genetic alterations, such as IDH mutations or FGFR2 translocations. And in the past year, we've now got two phase three data sets that were positive with GEMSYS plus Dervalumab or now GEMSYS plus Pembrolizumab. Uh, at ASCO GI, there were results of a long-awaited phase three study, uh, the SWOG study that looked at a triplet chemotherapy of GEM, cytobine, cisplatin, and NAB paclitaxel. And this was called the SWOG 1815 study. Uh, and this was based on a single arm uh, study a few years back that showed an overall survival of 19.2 months, which is quite long. Uh, but this was a randomized phase three study. And I think this study highlights the importance of doing phase three studies, or at least a randomized study, because we can often be led to make fa uh, false conclusions based on single arm data. And when we did a randomized study, this study did not meet its endpoint of improving OS. And therefore, you know, this regimen won't become a standard of care. What was provocative, though, was that the objective response rate with the triplet was quite high, 34% versus 25% with GEMSYS. And this number actually uh, is higher than what we've seen in some of the IO combinations, whether Dervalumab or Pembrolizumab. Uh, but still, based on survival data, I think the IO uh, GEMSYS regimens are now going to be considered frontline standard of care. The other study we saw at ASCO GI was the Embrave 151 study. Uh, this was a phase two randomized placebo controlled study of Atezobev plus GEMSYS versus Atezo and placebo versus GEMSYS. Obviously, building on the idea that Atezobev. Uh, has activity in liver cancers, which we've seen in Embrave 150. Uh, this study did not show that there was such a pronounced synergy with the addition of bevacizumab to atezolizumab in combination with chemotherapy. Uh, the duration of response did seem longer with the triplet, whereas the objective responses, though, were very similar, 24% and 25%. So there's ongoing follow-up for this study. Uh, given the approvals in biliary cancer with dervalumab now, I, I think a phase three study of a tezobev gemsys versus IO and gemsys uh, would be a pretty high bar to go after. But an interesting data set and showing increasing interest in biliary tract cancers. Yes, I agree with you that the interest is increasing around the world and maybe it's a good time for considering a specific trial for intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma as a different disease in comparison to the other. For sure. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you, Maria, for joining me. Uh, you're always a pleasure to work with, very thoughtful, clearly a, a leader in the liver cancer space. And I'd like to thank Ilka for inviting us in a uh, few months. Hopefully we'll all get together in Amsterdam for the 2023 Ilka meeting, which should be stronger and better than ever. For sure. Thank you again. This podcast is kindly sponsored by the multinational biopharmaceutical company Insight. ILCA is, today, the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA.